So many of us give up on following our dreams and charting our own path. There's always something that's more important. There's always some obstacle. And it's just easy to blame others. I read a quote somewhere that said, If you really want to do something, you find a way. Otherwise, you find an excuse. Today, Nirja Ganesh tells us how she found a way to chart her own path every time. This is a Be Unstoppable podcast about stories worth telling of people who are living wholesome lives, overcoming obstacles, following their passion and changing the world. It's about people like you and me who found it in themselves to be unstoppable. Hi and welcome to the Be Unstoppable podcast. I'm Supriya, your host, and today we're talking to Nirja Ganesh about charting your own path. Nirja wears many hats. She's presently the Director of Relationships at National Education Society of Karnataka. She spent 25 years in the IT industry and then decided to switch her career to work in the space of gender diversity and went on to head the jobs for her foundation. Nirja has mentored women from diverse experiences, age groups, industries and domains to help them grow in their careers. And, you know, she's many feathers in her cap. She's won many awards and recognitions for her work. And it's like an absolute honor to have her here with us today. Hi, Nirja. Welcome. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. So, um, diving right into my questions, um, you're a very strong woman in your own right, right? So, could you tell us a little bit about your origins? Thank you, Supriya, for having me on this podcast. I've seen some of the earlier episodes. I've heard some of the earlier episodes, and I'm so glad that uh, you thought that I should also be on this. Uh, so looking forward to our conversation today. Uh, well, I come from a South Indian Tamil Brahmin family. I'm the only child to my parents. Uh, born in Kerala, uh, I went to Indore, which is in central India, Madhya Pradesh, as a four-month-old baby as my father had got transferred there. And it was be up South India. We lived there for 12 years and it was a very beautiful phase of our life. Um, though we didn't have an extended family there, the love and warmth provided by all in that city ensured that we never wanted to move out. Finally, we did come to Bangalore when I was 12 because my father had to be closer to his ailing parents who were in Chennai. I grew up uh, as a very timid, meek, shy girl who didn't have any friends in school and indoor. And I think I was happy to be quiet, you know, and I did a lot of listening, I think, uh, uh, and observation of everyone around me in school and uh, my neighbors. Uh, I, but I, I really didn't speak. I never spoke. I was happy to be quiet and, you know, in a listening mode. Uh, and uh, I really don't think anybody else also cared too much about me. And I was okay with that. Uh, I, I, I try to reflect about this, you know, every time when this conversation happens, people ask me about my growing up years. And uh, I think it really didn't matter to me that I was this, you know, quiet girl who didn't, who people didn't bother about. I was happy being me and myself. I think I find a bit of resonance there, Nirja, because um, if you ask, if you go back to Jaipur and ask my teachers or my classmates about Supriya, they will think they'll say, "Oh, that that quiet little girl in the corner with two pigtails." <laughs> Is that who you're talking about? <laughs> because I was like, I was quite like a mouse. 
uh, I never really, you know, voiced out anything in, in the class, but today uh, it's drastically different, of course. So what was the defining moment in your life? You know, something that changed you a lot and, and shaped your journey to where you are today. I think the transformation from being that quiet girl, you know, otherwise I wouldn't have been on this podcast today, I guess. And that was uh, one of the biggest defining moments for me. Uh, so that girl, uh, that quiet girl, of course, continued on her quiet journey through the rest of the school, college, and also at work. And I will not be exaggerating if I told you that I did not even say hi to the person who was sitting next to me at work. So I, uh, it was not an attitude issue. It was just the fact that I was such an introvert. I used to go to work at nine. I would leave at six. Um, I would have my lunch all by myself. I would have my afternoon chai all alone. This company easily had about 500 employees. When did the transformation and why did the transformation happen? Uh, I was uh, in a team of 10 other people and uh, I was suddenly asked to lead this team because our team lead uh, was uh, sent on an on-site assignment, six-month assignment. And in those days, and I'm talking about year 2000, leadership was more about who's the most technically qualified in the team. But at that time it was like, okay, do you know the NAUT system, the working system? So I come from a technology background. So that was what they looked at. And while all my peers were, you know, equally competent, I probably was a little more senior and they made me the team lead. And can you imagine a quiet, meek, timid girl as a team lead in a team and an organization that was itself going through a huge transformation. So this was a team where we had suddenly offshored all the work from on-site from the on-site team and we had to really perform and prove that we can do it out of Bangalore and the organization was going through a CMM transformation for those of you uh, who know CMM it is you know and now it's CMMI uh, on, the, on it is one of the you know very very prestigious certifications in terms of the quality processes that a delivery organization has so we had to now adapt to new ways of working and that's when I realized that I had to speak up. I had to speak up for my team uh, because every other day there would be some stinkers, you know, coming saying that the Bangalore team can't perform. So people are picking up on every small thing that we may have made a mistake on and making a big hue and cry saying this Bangalore team doesn't know how to do things. But the reality of the situation was that the knowledge transfer that had to happen by this one person who had traveled for, uh, to be in Bangalore for nine months and give us the KT, the knowledge transfer, she was not doing her job. And hence, we were struggling. We were just trying our hands and, you know, learning. So I had to speak up and in some ways complain about this uh, woman. And you know how, uh, how difficult it would have been for me. One, because of the personality and two, trying to say that somebody who supposedly called, you know, on-site is called the boss and I'm trying to complain about the boss. Again, there was an issue with the CMM, you know, journey also. Uh, we were all supposed to comply with the processes that uh, the organization had set up for us and I was struggling to, you know, make it happen in our team. And there was a meeting with the you know, MD, all the team leads were sitting with the MD and the MD was reviewing our compliance scores and mine was pathetic because I, I kind of, you know, believe in doing the right things. You know, I will not do anything just for the sake of compliance. So I was not able to realize the value of these processes, uh, you know, for our team. And I spoke up. 
and everybody thought I'd gone bonkers. This girl who doesn't speak is now, you know, challenging the MD of the company by saying that the processes are not processes are not valuable. So I guess what happened is that the MD actually heard me out, and uh, he supported me. And uh, we kind of reviewed all the processes and realized that it was not the best for our team. And you know, things changed. And that's when I understood the importance of speaking up. Uh, now, what's the worst that could have happened? The MD could have said, shut up, you know, and you know, I'm not going to you know, listen to you because the rest of the organization seems to be fine. Well, that could have happened. But the other thing which happened, which was that he did give me a year and he tried to find out what was not working, made me realize that it's all right to speak. And uh, yeah, since then, I've not stopped speaking. Wow. Honestly, you make me feel like, you know, you're narrating my story because uh, I'm an introvert also. right? And the first okay. thing I realized, uh, I have, uh, I did my MBA and everything. And the entire time uh, I spent hiding behind my team. So I would do the entire project work. But when it came to presenting it, I would put, put these people in front to sort of make the presentation because I just did not... Uh, I wasn't comfortable speaking in front of people and I'm this kind of person who can never go and, you know, say the first statement or the first hi to anybody, right? People have to come and talk to me. So I totally resonate with that aspect and then work through me in a situation where I had to talk. <laughs> so, right. um, so that's when, you know, that work persona started building up and I realized that, you know, talking is probably not so bad. And in my situation, I, I can do that now, but even personally, I'm still, you know, that one person that is not very comfortable in, in group dynamics, maybe. But yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's an amazing uh, resonance. So um, going back to a little bit about your uh, personal story, you know, we spoke about it and you, uh, you said that you came from a traditional family and you got married according to your parents' wishes. Um, so, so you've followed tra tradition, you know, in some sense, but at the same time, you've always been your own person, right? How do you manage that balance? Yeah, that's true. Um, so while uh, it's expected to abide by rules and norms, uh, likes and dislikes of the family members, you know, I, I, I got married into a joint family, which, I, which meant I was living with my in-laws, um, I believe that I found a way to make it known to my husband and my in-laws from the very beginning of, you know, my marriage about the kind of person I am. Uh, you know, I'm really independent and I don't want any interferences in the way I want to lead my life. Now, that does not mean I went and fought or, you know, kind of uh, stood up uh, and you know, announced this. Um, but I kind of also gave the same kind of independence to my in-laws and my husband. So for example, it's okay to have different opinions, right? You're all different individuals. But as long as everyone in the family respects each other's opinions and does not thrust it upon others, it's fine. So there, is, there was no, nothing to say that it has to be my opinion or it has to be someone else's opinion. So let's hear out everyone. Um, so we have found a way to let people do what they want to. Like, for example, um, if my mother-in-law preferred to keep the kitchen in a particular way, I let her do that because that was her queendom, right? Uh, it, was, uh, it only allowed me more time to focus on other things that, I'm, that mattered to me. And I made them matter, you know, to me. Uh, and it was more than, you know, just being in the kitchen. So there are aspects where you let go. And uh, some places you give in or you compromise. 
but some places where you really want your way and you get your way. People say, right, pick your battles. So I realized what I did not want to compromise on at all. And for the other things, I was happy to give in. And in that, uh, in that aspect, career was one of those where I did not want to compromise for sure. However, I still put family first. You know, that is something that I've done throughout my life and I continue to do it today. In my list of priorities, family always comes first. And hence, I chose roles which ensured that I'm able to give the required attention to the family based on the phase of life that I was in. Like, for example, when I got married, I refused all on-site assignments as I didn't see a point of being away from my husband for six months. And my husband was running his own business here, so he wouldn't have traveled with me. Similarly, when my daughter was born, I took a 10-month break. And then I picked roles which did not have me stretching beyond 6 p.m. because I wanted to spend all my time in the evenings with her. However, when she grew up to be three years old, I did travel for three weeks, leaving her with my husband, parents, and in-laws. Um, again, when teenage struck, my daughter is 18 now, so when teenage struck at about 11 or 12, not 13, um, I, I actually refused a role which was so, so interesting and challenging, but I knew it would take away all my evenings. And I knew I had to be around uh, to give, uh, you know, to be around whenever my daughter came to you know, speak to me. And that could have been never, you know, because my daughter and I had a very difficult relationship for two years, you know, as her teenage, you know, struck. Uh, and uh, hard, she would hardly speak to me. But I knew that if she wanted to come and speak to me at some time and I'm sitting on calls in the evening, I think it would have been a very, very difficult situation. So I didn't take up those roles. But after, you know, uh, a couple of years when I managed that relationship and, you know, gotten, we got around to, you know, speaking and having a better relationship, uh, when I went to head, head the jobs for her foundation and also in my current freelance capacity where I have a day job at a college and then I do so many other things, now there are no boundaries for work and home, which is because the rest of the family members are at a stage where they don't feel insecure and they will come around to talk to you if there is a need to, especially with my daughter. So I think uh, speaking up is very, very important. It does not mean fighting. It does not mean having your way always. But making sure others understand why this is important for you, be it in a family situation or a work situation, uh, so that everyone together finds a way to make it happen for you along with getting what they want. So I think that's the you know, essence of uh, getting that balance. Brilliant. And I think what I'm taking away from this is uh, that it's very important to first know your priorities because unless you do that, you can't set those boundaries which you did initially, right? Where you say that this is what is important to me and here's where the whole picking your battles come into place, right? And um, it's amazing that, you know, you say very clearly that family always comes first and therefore I will pick and choose other things, how they align to this one, um, one priority that I have in life. And I totally, totally get you because uh, recently when my son was born, I, uh, I was a partner in a marketing agency and I quit because I decided that he's more important than spending 14 hours working there to build a business, which uh, probably is a, is a good value add in the whole ecosystem. But maybe in my life, my success definition is sort of different. So, um, you know, very interesting to have these thoughts sort of resonate with you. But on that note, we're going to take a short break and we will be back again.
You are listening to the Be Unstoppable podcast and we are talking to Nirja Ganesh. Nirja is a part of many platforms to mentor women and brings about a positive transformation in their mindsets. Aspire for Her Foundation is one such platform which works with girls in the age group of 18 to 25 and Nirja is a mentor here. She also writes a column for them called Nirspires. Check it out. The link is in the episode description. And we're back. We're talking to Nirja Ganesh about her journey and her transformation and how she is the power woman that she is today. So, uh, Nirja, just continuing that thread that we were talking about earlier, um, would you say, and you said that, you know, it's very important to speak out, right? So, uh, would you say that a lot of women miss out on their potential because they never speak up, they never voice their thoughts or opinions? And any, um, I don't know, any thoughts on what makes them reluctant? And um, do you see that sort of changing a little bit today? Absolutely. I think women uh, do miss out on their potential because they do not speak up. They do not voice out their opinions. Let's first talk about the women who are already out there, right? They are uh, in you know, good careers and you know, doing extremely well. Why is it that they don't speak up? They don't voice their opinions? I think the first one is the imposter syndrome, where they think that they are not good enough. The second reason is the fear of rejection and hence they do not ask. So these are two big things, right? Um, And uh, if you think of a larger context of family, because we also spoke about family, uh, I think it's ego, right? Uh, Which is what kind of uh, keeps them down or they want to keep others down. So let me give you a quick uh, story here, right? So when I got married, my father told me the story. He said, what if, you know, you, are, you and your husband one day decide to go for a movie and uh, your mother-in-law says that you need to go uh, to a temple instead. And he gave me three instances. He said that maybe, you know, you both didn't have anything better to do. Hence, you said, let's go to a movie. Just go to the temple. Your mother-in-law will be happy. Uh, if you could do the movie as well as, you know, the temple, nothing like that. But if you have to do the movie and the temple cannot happen, Just tell your mother-in-law that, yeah, we are going to the temple and go to the movie instead, right? But we will not do this. I'm saying women will not do this because they want to prove a point to the rest of the family to say that, who are you to dictate my life? And, uh, you know, you'll make it a mess with your husband saying, listen to me. Are you listening to your mother? And at the end of the day, you wanted to have a good time in the evening, which you're not going to have, even if you happen to go to the movie because you've already had that fight and your husband probably is not interested or you end up doing something else and you're not having a good time. So that ego is one thing that in the family, and maybe it also goes in sometimes in the workplace, which kind of, you know, puts you down and you're not really enjoying and, you know, taking people along. Now, in terms of your question, uh, are things getting better today? I definitely see it getting better, but we do have a long way to go. And the reason it's getting better is there are lots of resources available for girls to look up to today, read up and watch like this podcast as an example, and a lot of role models that girls can look up to. Like, for example, my daughter who's 18 now, she does not fear the imposter while I still do. Okay. She is already like, let's just go do it. What's the worst that can happen? And because of resources which are provided by the so many platforms which are there, like I'll name a few because we are associated with it, like Jobs for Her or Aspire for Her, 
when these girls and women they hear more and more successful women having managed both home and career well and how they have done so it does rub off on them and hence they do get better so i'll give you again a very uh, you know interesting story uh, this happened last saturday um so this is a girl um, who i spoke to uh, i volunteer at this organization called as hope works foundation uh, the mission of this organization is to get, get every girl and we work with underprivileged girls to dream and reach their dreams and the starting for this is that every girl has to be hopeful of a better future now this girl that i spoke to on saturday has finished her second puc and she scored brilliant marks and with a 100 on 100 in maths now as always she's written the engineering entrance exam and the medical entrance exam and we know that there is this fancy you know in our country for an engineering degree uh, now i'm nothing against it let me be you know on record let me say i'm nothing against an engineering degree or whatever degree but i believe that if a child does not follow her passion uh, or studies what she is really good at the degree and the college really does not matter she is going to be successful if she has chosen the subject that she loves and what she is passionate about now my own daughter she moved from the icse syllabus to the karnataka state board in ninth standard despite being the class topper and everybody thought that she and i both had gone nuts she did not attempt any competitive exams and she had decided to take a bsc in math statistics computer science as she wants to pursue a data science and again with a 94% in her 12th people thought it was ridiculous that she is doing a bachelor of science and not a so called professional degree which could be engineering so anyways coming back to this girl i spoke to the girl to find out what her passion and favorite subjects are and she said she had a 100 in math right and she said maths is what you know she is really passionate about so i asked her to you know look at other courses she said she was considering engineering because everybody around her told her it is engineering and uh, you know and hence she had not even looked at admissions to any other colleges so i only had to spend 15 minutes with her explain to her why she should choose a course and course that uh, mattered uh, in terms of her passion uh, her interests and uh, today is tuesday i got a note that she has secured admission in a very good college for a 3 years bachelor's degree in data science and uh, i am i'm talking about these are the kind of resources and role models that are available today for girls to really speak up so i'm sure she would have had to speak up to her parents and say no i will not do engineering but i'll do this because this is what is you know going to be my passion and this is going to take me where i want to um so i think things are changing and thank you supriya for having you know podcasts of this kind and i really would like to take this opportunity to thank every other platform and individual who is bringing around these resources and role models to the you know larger population especially the girls of today so those are amazing stories neerja and i i really believe and i second your thought here that these kind of role models these kind of platforms where girls can see other women shaping their own destiny defining their own success that gives them the courage to you know uh, speak up and and you spoke about imposter syndrome trust me i struggled it with it for the longest time even when i know that i know better than the others there's this nagging doubt you know what if i'm wrong um and that sort of holds me back still even when i know that this is what it is right so again uh, <laughs> it will take time to chip away at those things that um, we sort of been um, they they sort of imbibed into our um, framework um, as such but 
at least there's hope for the next gen which is out there Definitely. So, and the mantra to overcome that imposter syndrome for me is just one line. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. And if you answer that question very sincerely and that worst is something that you can deal with and cope with, just go for it. True. Which is what somehow I do now. I just jump into situations and then we shall see how they turn out. Right. <laughs> um, okay. So that brings me to the next question. And I'm going back to a little bit which we which we spoke about and that was about how you know, you chose your professional journey um, in tandem with your personal life because you put family first, right? Um, and that was your choice. But in terms of overall, generally, do you feel that women sort of juggle a lot more responsibility when it comes to work-life balance? Um, and, you know, what can be done in terms of more equal responsibility sharing at the home front? So I think for me, I was blessed. I, I will admit it. Uh, I, I did not uh, struggle with a work-life balance issue because I have had a family that supported me. I think one of the reasons why people struggle and your question on do women struggle a bit more? Um, I think the women struggle a bit more because, you know, they kind of decide for themselves that it is they who have to you know have the mantle and run with it. The guilt, you know, kills them if they don't do the things which uh, the stereotypes, you know, of our generation and uh, before us kind of, you know, make us, you know, do. Um, but I think people struggle because they don't know what their priorities are. And I will harp on this like crazy because People will say, of course, we know our priorities. But if I were to ask them, can you list out one thing which is your priority one? They will not be able to do it. They will tell me three things at priority one. And it can never be priority one if you have three things. It has to be one and only one at priority one. And then among those three, which is priority two and what is priority three? The minute you have this very clear, you can really you know, manage your life. And I don't even want to call it balance. You can integrate your life. Uh, which is what I did, right? I said family first, which meant that my decision making became so much more easier when it came to choice of roles. You know, should I travel? Uh, should I, you know, take on assignments which, you know, keep me long hours in the evening? Again, it depends on the phase of life. Priorities change. As I said that, you know, uh, priorities now, I'm not saying family is not priority, but I know that now I can do longer hours because everybody, you know, is kind of, you know, managing the, themselves very well. But there was a time, even when I, you know, uh, joined the Jobs for Her Foundation, my mother-in-law had a very severe viral uh, you know attack and it had left her almost immobile and at that point in time I did go and speak with Neha Bagaria the founder of jobs for her to say that I need to be at home so I need to look at a you know a flexibility which allows me to work from home so priorities will keep changing on a largely in a, on I think in a yearly uh, um, I think a year is a good amount of time, but sometimes it can happen, you know, earlier than that. In the COVID situation, I think every day, the minute the lockdown had happened, I think priorities changed every day. So people have to be really, really clear about their priorities, which means once you know that, you can calendarize it in your day, you can calendarize it in your week, and you will be able to achieve a semblance of not balance, but an integrated life. Um, and, and that's for sure, you know, that's something that uh, I very, very clearly have done it, especially in this freelance, uh, you know, journey, I have ensured that everything, you know, goes into my calendar. For example, the other day I went with my daughter to the dentist and he said 12th October 6pm or something is the appointment. I immediately went and put it in the calendar and my daughter laughed her head off. And I said, no, because I don't know when people will call me. They can call me anytime. So now I know that there is a dentist appointment and half an hour before, half an hour after. 
I can't take calls. So it is so, so important to put everything that is in your priority list into your calendar and one calendar, and you will be able to achieve a more integrated you know, life. Have your exercise schedules, your spiritual schedules, or whatever you wish to achieve in life in there. The second thing I will say is make everyone responsible in your house for certain activities, including your children, however young they are. People say, oh, she's just three or she's just four. No, you know, how, however young and however early you are able to, you know, give certain small responsibilities to the child, the child will be able to kind of, you know, pick it up and help you. So in my case, my daughter, she packed her school dabbas throughout her school. And, you know, in school, there'll be like two or three dabbas. There's one short break and one big break and all of snack break and all of that. And she also packed my dabba because mornings used to be crazy. I, you, you had to leave by 7.45, drop her to school. I used to do that and then go on on this long journey from Alsur to Belandur, which was like 15 kilometers. So breakfast also I wouldn't have at home. So there would be that many number of dabbas because I would come home by about eight in the night. So there would be some snack box. But I made Sneha do it, you know, and uh, and she, she took that responsibility because she realized that, you know, if we all have to go out at this particular time of the day, then somebody has to help out with that aspect in the kitchen. So make people responsible in the house. Don't let the guilt come over you, throw it out. People can say whatever they have to. You know your priority number one is to ensure that you have a good career. Uh, so, you know, ensure you delegate some stuff. I think that was beautifully put. And like I said, there are so many instances where your story resonates with mine and what you've done, uh, you know, because, um, and I particularly like that point which you said about choice. And I was just discussing this yesterday with somebody. Um, because I know a lot of people, some of them are friends, some of them are acquaintances who keep coming to ask me that, you know, how do you do the things that you do? And my answer is simple because I make a choice and I, I, and I go the route that my priorities align with, right? Um, you don't move forward if you just dilly-dally between should I do this, should I do that? You can't do everything. You can't do 100% in everything. So you have to choose where you want to go, which direction you want to go. And that, that must align with what is important to, to you in your life. So when you say priorities, I totally get it. When you say delegate responsibility, I totally get it. And this is a funny anecdote initially because... You know, my in-laws come from uh, Honavar and okay. when I got married and they, they come from a small town and, you know, they have that sort of a mindset. They're, they're the sweetest people, but they didn't realize that their son could also go in the kitchen, right? They raised two boys and they didn't, like, the boys didn't <laughs> all at home. The, uh, you know, my mom-in-law was a homemaker. So when I got married, I came in and weekdays, because everybody's anyway running around. And on Saturday, I told Gaurav, uh, this is your turn to make chai. And he went into the kitchen and he made chai. Like <laughs> literally their jaws dropped to the floor and they're like, why is our son in the kitchen? <laughs> um, because, you know, it's a weekend and I also need a break. Um, right. But they accepted it very quickly. You know, there, there was that initial moment of shock, but. <laughs> but that was also a revelation. And I said, you wait and watch. He will still, he will get to cooking food also. <laughs> but that would have been hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was very interesting. So, uh, so Nidra, you're an amazing networker. Um, and, and now that you say you are an introvert also, that's also doubly curious for me because uh, like 
I resonate with that, right? I'm very shy. I don't like networking. I have never exchanged a business card with anybody with, you know, without at least great reluctance to do that. So any tips for people like me um, for networking and, you know, what's a good non-draining way to go about it? So the first of all, uh, the definition of networking is uh, what I tell people is it is not about what you want from others. It is about what you can give to others. So the minute you have this definition, I think half of your uh, worries are gone because you're not really looking to meet someone, exchange business cards, saying, you know, what he can do or she can do and you know things like that. The only thing that you keep in mind is how can I help the other person who I am meeting either at an event or, you know, wherever. So that's the definition of networking I want to emphasize with everyone. Of course, uh, people say uh, she had a great network and that's why, you know, she is where she is. That will happen. But that is eventually it will happen. That is not your starting point. Your starting point of building a network is to find people whom you can help find reasons and causes and uh, aspects in their professional, personal life where you can be of value. Uh, so it, there is no point in being part of a network which is 1,000 people or even 100 people if you are not considered as valuable. If there is no value-added service, expertise that you can provide, then you are one of the other 99 in that network and it's absolutely of no use to you and to the others. So start thinking about what is the value that I can provide to whoever I meet and that is how I started. So when I started... Um, networking so of course I've always been helpful right in school in college at work even though I was very quiet people would approach me because I was good at math or something and they would say can you help me out and I helped out uh, but the real in the real sense of uh, developing a network with people who I didn't know from the past happened from 2016 when I realized the uh, the presence of women who have taken a career break and wanting to restart their careers and struggling to restart uh, when I say I realize the presence, it's because I was in my own world. I had never taken a break till then. And I didn't think it was a big thing. But when I came across these women at a conference and I heard their stories of, you know, how difficult it was for them to even get to an interview, let alone, you know, get a job. I said, I have to do something about it. So my starting going in position was, I have to do something about it. Uh, and how can I do something about it? Who can I meet? Who can help these women? With that in mind, I started connecting with people. So it was not a selfish motive. And how, in terms of you know, connecting with someone, I also thought, how is it that I could help them? And in return, at some point in time, they themselves will come and say, hey, I think you know, you're doing some work in this capacity. Let me Tell me if there is something that I can help out. So the going in position is always about what value you can provide to the others then I don't think it will be draining in any way. Um, and uh, I, I just tell people that uh, get out of your comfort zone, uh, go to meetings, go to events. Today, everything is online. Don't think about whether this is going to help you in the current professional role that you are, because now we understand that, you know, things are not going to remain as they are, you know, for a long time to come by. So it is important for you to learn as much as you can, which can come only when you, you can't sit and read and read and read. So the minute you start attending webinars and conferences uh, and you start listening to things which you have probably never done in the past is when uh, you kind of first learn and two, you are going to meet really diverse kinds of people. Otherwise, what happens is even if someone wants to go to conference, they'll say, okay, what is 
the kind of work that I do. Like I have been in IT, so let me go to an IT conference. But I have not shied away going to a DNI conference, a book reading, uh, you know, event that is happening, uh, a lean in uh, group uh, meeting, even an innovation, you know, kind of a network, uh, entrepreneurship network. I have not shied away at all. So leaving that comfort zone is very important. Keeping in mind what's the worst, you will probably not be able to start a conversation with somebody else because you, because you are an introvert and shy. But if you remember what I said, networking is about what is the value you can give to others. It definitely means you don't have to keep talking. If I meet a Supriya at some conference, all I have to say is hi Supriya and have an elevator pitch, which you know introduces me very succinctly. And then I try and find out about Supriya, her challenges, her interests, her passions keeping in mind what is it that I can do to help her. And it, you as an introvert will really, you know, breeze through that because you're tuned to, you know, listening more and observing more. So that's my, uh, you know, quick yarn um, on networking. And secondly, nurture these relationships, genuinely nurture these relationships. So don't, you know, forget Supriya after the first event that you have met her. Ensure that because you've already found out what she likes. It could be as simple as when is her birthday or it could be, you know, I think she, she, she wants to do podcasts. She's not started one, but she told me that she's going to, you know, start doing podcasts. If I come across some very interesting podcasts or I come across certain tools, which kind of help the podcast journey um, easier, make it easier. And I probably just share that with Supriya and say, Hey, we met at that event last time and you were talking about starting a podcast. Uh, this is something that I've come across and I thought it might be useful for you. Supriya will remember you forever. That is how you nurture the relationship. And eventually at some point in time, she herself will come and, you know, give you something which you had not anticipated for, or you can then ask for something which you believe she can help you. But it has to be through that process of nurturing that relationship. So those are the two things that I would really, you know, uh, tell people about networking. I think again, as usual, those are brilliant points. And this just throws me back to something that, uh, my cousin is a coach. He's based in the US. And uh, so he and his wife, they're co-founders of uh, Mind Valley, and they run um, something called EverCoach, a coaching institute. And their philosophy is serve love. So they say, you know, the first thing is service. You serve people, uh, you try and help them, and they will come back to you. And that's how, you know, you build your business or your network. And uh, what you've just said, of course, adds on to it, right? That find people that you can serve and uh, focus on serving them and nurture that relationship and then connections just happen. So I think, I think that's beautiful and a wonderful way to put it. So my last question to you for today, Nirja, and I don't want this conversation to end, but of course there's a bit of a time limit for the podcast is, uh, you know, you've had this unstoppable journey, right? So what's your next step? Where are you headed? Um, so, um, after my IT career, I went on to, uh, you know, head the jobs for her foundation because I really wanted to do something for the women of our country. Uh, and I continue to, you know, have that drive. And so I will do whatever I can in that space. Uh, I also wanted to do a lot in the student space. That's when I came out of the job, but I continue to be associated with that platform and, you know, will help in that cause in any way that I can. And now I'm associated with a lot of uh, platforms like Aspire for Her, which is for girls in the age group of 18 to 25. Then there is HopeWorks Foundation, which works with younger girls. And that will continue, right? Uh, I, I really uh, thank uh, people who've started such platforms through which I can bring about that impact. 
I also realized that uh, my stories uh, have been uh, inspirational and have been impactful and people have been able to make changes to their life, you know, small changes to their life, which has, you know, shown them big transformations. And so I realized that how do I uh, tell my story and, you know, talk about my experiences on a, a wider platform? Uh, and I started writing. So I, I, I write uh, a lot on LinkedIn. And of course, I uh, write on certain guest blogs. I still don't have a blog of my own. Uh, and I do not miss out any opportunity like this where uh, I get invited you know, to speak. But I think the next thing that I I think I should do uh, is uh, to write a book. It's, it's in my mind. And I think I'll do that. That's the next uh, pit stop for me. So watch for that. Wow, I would definitely look forward to reading that because I'm sure you have thousands of interesting stories to contribute uh, to something like that. So I will definitely keep an eye out for it. Um, thank you. And all the best. <laughs> and thank you so much for being here today. It was amazing talking to you. Um, really appreciate you taking the time out to do this. My pleasure, Supriya. And uh, I look forward to listening to this and more episodes in the future. Hey there, so that was the Be Unstoppable podcast for today. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed the show. Do subscribe to stay connected and tune in every Friday on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week.